Welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019, in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. I'm Jack Demonazes, and today I'm once again joined by Samuel Lovett. How are you doing, Sam? Yeah, not bad, mate. How are you? Good. I'm just in a rainy Beppu, getting ready for the quarterfinals, and you're obviously back in Tokyo, and you've got two cracking games coming up. Um, yep. How's your week been? Yeah, it's not bad, mate. Um, obviously, I was in Tokyo, moved up from the south of Japan up to Tokyo last weekend, and I've been here uh, ever since. Um, obviously, been covering uh, Typhoon uh, and the aftermath of that a fair bit. So that's sort of uh, taken up a lot of my time. But now, I suppose, it's a case of just sort of like looking forward to the quarterfinals building up. Um, so it's been an- another busy one, but um, interesting. Uh, and I sort of learned more again uh, from sort of my experiences, sort of mixing with, the, mixing with the locals in the evening, which has been in, uh, always good fun. Any uh, any sake involved there? Uh, a, c- a couple of yeah, glasses of sake. Um, <laughs> I've had I, some rumours, I've had some messages. <laughs> I tried it for the first time straight uh, last weekend, didn't like it, but I was introduced to um, sake and um, iced tea uh, with, with lots of ice, um, and they squeeze a little bit of lemon in there as well, which is uh, which makes it yeah, which makes it quite nice actually. Oh, um, that's an interesting verdict. I'm I'm very much a straight and warm fan. I, I like no, it heated it's, up. Uh, it's, it's, it's too strong. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's have a quick look at this weekend for pretty epic quarterfinals coming up really we, we start with England Australia and that's a sporting rivalry that you know needs no introduction obviously the 2003 World Cup final and this is also a repeat of the 2007 quarterfinal and even in 2015 it was Australia who knocked England out so we'll discuss that in the second half as well as Wales versus France those are the two games in Oita this weekend that I'll be covering and I also have my uh, colleague, our colleague, Jonathan Liu, Chief Sports Writer for The Independent. He'll be joining us for England, Australia, and then he'll be flying to join you because you're in Tokyo on Saturday. Yep. You've got New Zealand, Ireland, which a lot of people thought could be this game, but if, if they shouldn't have been because obviously Ireland were probably going to win the group. And they didn't win the group because of Japan. And we've got Japan, South Africa to wrap up the weekend on Sunday. So... We should probably talk about Japan first because of the week we've had here and particularly the week you've experienced. You you were up there in, in the path of Typhoon Hajibis and then you've also been out and about this week to see the destruction that it caused. Now, yep. at, at the time of this recording, it's now the death toll has reached 77 and there's still people missing. So it looks like that's going to tragically increase. But you were... You, luckily, we managed to get you into a, a, a safe hotel. You you were out the firing line and you experienced the worst of it last Saturday night. And then yep. the game went ahead Sunday. And obviously, Japan-Scotland was one of the all-time great World Cup games. It was brilliant. So just just talk us through kind of from Saturday onwards and how that all unfolded. For yeah, you. yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, so like I said, I was bolted up safely um, in one of the, sort of the downtown hotels. Um the experience was it's not something I've been through before so the, the building was swaying the rooms were creaking but it did feel very safe um, and then in the morning you know we woke to sort of sharp glorious sunshine uh, the city seemed the, the central city uh, I suppose seemed largely untouched by the storm um, but obviously that was you know a massive contrast to sort of the regions to the north of Tokyo and to the east and then all along this Pacific coast of the main island Honshu 
um, it seems that there the infrastructure isn't quite as, I suppose, as developed as Tokyo, and that's where the harm and the damage was done. Um, but it's, I suppose, testament to to the hosts, uh, to the Japanese nation, um, and to all involved in, in Sunday's game, you know, that it did go ahead in light of what happened. Um, it was an incredibly um, emotionally charged match. You saw that before kickoff. I mean, there, you know, there were so many threads to the match. There was the obviously the devastation wrought by Hajibis. Um There was the question of whether or not the match would even go ahead, um, and then there was the fate. You know, the agony and the ecstasy waiting the two teams, awaiting the two teams. Um, so it was. It's nothing I've sort of experienced before. So in terms of covering sport, um, and and now. <sighs> It's a similar similar circumstances, I think, moving into this weekend's quarterfinal. Um, as we're saying, sort of the death toll's gone up. Um, there's millions of damage done, I suppose billions, in fact. Yeah. Um, so it's you know it is a very sensitive um, backdrop uh, that uh, Sunday's game is going to be played out against. And you've you've written a preview for this game. Uh, yes, in which yes. you went to Fukushima to, to have yeah, a look at so, uh, one of the worst hit areas. It's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the the uh, rivers that runs through the the prefecture uh, it burst. I think about fourteen locations, and for the city that I visited, uh, it's called Koryama. Um, in the east of the city, there was sort of widespread flooding. So a whole neighbor, neighborhood submerged uh, beneath the waters in the area that I visited. Um, one person lost their life uh, across the city as a whole. Five people were killed, uh, and in the so I visited four days afterwards. It, it, you know, it, it was a scene of I suppose destruction. Um, sort of rubbish was lining the streets. People going about trying to salvage uh, what they could amongst the, amongst the debris. Um, but people still there, you know, happy to ask you questions. Um, <laughs> Just so resilient, I think. I mean, I know it's something natural disasters. Japanese, it's, it's something that they roll with. Someone I spoke to, um, but the city hall said, you know, they really do roll with the punches. Um, but even so, it's it's, it's going to be a very difficult time for, for the nation in the coming weeks and months. It has been quite out impressive, isn't it? That the way that life continues, and you think about Fukushima, a place that was already rebuilding from the 2011 earthquake, um, mm. you know, the, the power station that was there and the issues that caused. Uh, I've, I've, I've really been touched by the way that everyone comes together. You, as you say, you do expect it with natural disasters, but I think there's something a little bit special about the Japanese resilience that's been on show this week. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, it could be a bit of a cliche, maybe a bit of a tenuous link to make, but the brave blossoms of the Japanese national side, you know, I feel they do really come to embody the, the Japanese resilience and spirit. Uh, we've seen it in, in the pool stages against against the Irish, um, against the Scottish at times, you know, sort of when they weathered their own storm, uh, they kind of dug in and came out the other side and, and for the better. Um, and going into, into Sunday's quarterfinal, the hope is that, and the players of Manchester, the same as Jamie Joseph, that they can inspire a bit of hope um, this weekend and hopefully lift some spirits, you know, however briefly that may be. So let, let's look at rugby matters then. And do you're talking about that lifting spirits. What One thing that's really uh, caught the imagination of rugby fans is the, uh, the 
the game of rock, paper, scissors uh, that's doing the rounds on Twitter. <laughs> Jamie Joseph and Shotahari, you know, that's just, just some great light-hearted behind-the-scenes action, isn't it, from a team that really is taking the World Cup by storm, that some of the rugby they, they've demonstrated, particularly in that game against Scotland, is breaking the mould, really, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's been fantastic. It's, it's been so quick-fire, unpredictable. Uh, the offloading game has been... Particularly impressive uh, for that. I think it was maybe the second try, the uh, third try, uh, when it went up to about five sets of hands um, before culminating it in the try under the post. Was just it just tore the Scottish defence to shreds. Um, and if they can deploy a similar style against uh, South Africa, you know you feel we've got a game on our hands. Um, but having said that, obviously <laughs> the Springboks are a very different beast to Scotland. So the physicality uh, aspect you feel is, is going to come into particular scrutiny on Sunday. That's, that's one area where you expect South Africa to dominate. So it'll be interesting to see how um, the Japanese adapt their game to that. Um, you talk about tangents from going away from that game and the, what, what do you talk about? There's so much you can talk about because of 2015 and Japan's historic victory over the Springboks. Mm. But... You can also look at more recently, they, they played in a warm-up game before the World Cup and it was quite a comfortable victory for South Africa. So where are we? Because Japan seemed to be riding a wave of momentum. Yeah, they're, they're in a really strong place now and they've got the best part of 128 million people behind them here. You know, The whole nation is behind them and even more, I think arguably outside of South Africa, maybe not Scotland, given recent events, but the whole world wants Japan to win. So yeah. will, will that well, make up for the, the, the difference in, I'm not even sure you can say difference in talent anymore. It's almost just the difference in size because this Springboks team is so bloody big. Um, I, yeah, I, I do think the the influence of the home the home crowd the home nation and um, you know everyone being behind the Japanese I think it, it can make a difference um, I mean the atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric on Sunday um, and having beaten uh, the Springboks before four years ago there's the belief already that they can do it um, the size is an issue <laughs> um, I, I know they have been they, they've improved they're, they're scrimmaging uh, since since um, since the summer, um, and they've they've held firm in, in their three group uh, sorry four group games, but the the South African scrum it, it, you know if they can dominate that then they've got a sturdy platform to sort of dictate play uh, for much of the game. So the set piece perhaps is a, is an area where if Japan don't get it right, things might start unravelling for them, you know, regardless of the speed that they've, they've got down the flanks. Um, so, we're going to have to find out on that front. Then. Yeah, and, and, and out wide, that, that looks like it's going to be a fantastic battle in Japan's corner. You've got Kenki Fukuoka, who does come back from injury like a house on fire, and mm. Kataro Matsushima, who's, along with Josh Adams of Wales, top try scorer at the tournament, and then yeah, South African corner, Cheslin Colby, his reputation goes before him, you know, arguably the most agile player in world rugby right now. And Mazuki yeah. Mapimpi, who's who's really shown his class and, you know, comes with a bit of uh, bit of bite 
in terms of yeah. his, his, his size and power that he possesses. So how, how do you see those two match up? Who do you think has the advantage there if the Springboks have the slight advantage in the pack? Having seen more of Japan, you know, I'm probably a little bit biased because um, I have to say sort of uh, Kenki Fukuda and Vittorio um, Matsushima, they've just been absolutely outstanding. They're, they're both two players capable of producing those moments of magic uh, to, to catch to, to catch side out. Um, and some of the handling amongst the Japanese backs has been outstanding, you know, really, really quick, fluid, um, getting the ball to the, uh, to the flanks as, as quickly as possible to sort of unleash, uh, unleash you know, the, the, these two bundles of energy down the wings. Um, so, again, it, well, it's a case of service, isn't it? If, if they can get the ball out there um, and if the South Africans, how disruptive they, they are to, to that service, um, that make a difference. So that's Sunday's game for you. Uh, Saturday, you're covering New Zealand versus Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. we, we thought this would probably arise later in the tournament, perhaps even the final. Uh, but it's not. It's the quarterfinal because Ireland lost to Japan. Uh, the teams are pretty much as expected, you'd say. Obviously, Ireland have lost Bundyaki for the rest of the tournament with his three-week ban for a high tackle and his red card. Um, so, Robbie Henshaw goes to 12. Gary Ringrose comes back in at 13. You always felt that Ringrose would start. So, in, in the Henshaw, you know, that, that's an experienced head coming into. You wouldn't say Ireland lose too much there. But apart from that, you know, it, it looks pretty straightforward. Peter O'Mahony back at flanker um, and the same the same for the All Blacks so they've made one interesting call in that Cody Taylor starts at hooker ahead of Dane Coles and mm-hmm. we know how good a player Dane Coles is so yeah. you know that that's a real testament to what Taylor's done in the absence of Coles while he's been injured and taken some time away from the game um, you, I, I think it's fair to say we've got two of the strongest teams in, in the tournament going head to head haven't we yeah um, as you were saying it's perhaps a game that we, um, we were expecting a little bit later in the tournament but I think of all the teams that could spring a surprise against the All Blacks you know obviously odds on favourite uh, to win here in Japan it, it's the Irish um, they've managed it twice uh, in the last three three meetings between the two teams yes their form at the World Cup so far has been a bit hit and miss um, against Scotland they were impressive, they were good, but the, the, the Scottish didn't offer enough resistance. Against the Japan, obviously, there was that upset. Um, and in the, the match against uh, Samoa, it felt like they were they were back to their best, admittedly. But there's, there's still, I don't know, maybe that's a, a little bite amongst the forwards that's missing. Um, of the, of Saturday's sorry, uh, starting 15, 12 were there in, in Dublin last year. So the self-belief will be there. It's just a case of whether or not it clicks on the day. Um, I think if they can get an early score, perhaps an early try, a couple of penalties, that can give them the foundation and self-belief to sort of push on and really take the game to the, the All Blacks. And Steve Hansen stuck with the Richie Moanga bowden barrett combination, Barrett at fullback. He, he deserves a bit of praise for that, doesn't he? Because he didn't quite click in the rugby championship. And as a result, you know, Springboks got the draw against them and mm. Australia won and it cost them the title. But, you know, their, their eyes were always on the Rugby World Cup and it's gone pretty well here. It, albeit yeah. 
we've, we've only truly seen it against South Africa, really. Yeah, I, I was going to say, so that's the only match that I've actually seen um, of the All Blacks so far. And first impressions of that sort of dual, dual play, playmaker approach. Yeah, I was impressed. I, I thought it worked well. Um, it really allowed Bowden Barrett to sort of unlock um, his, his speed. Um, and his sort of shifting runs. Um, he sort of really terrorised the South Africans when he was running from deep. So if they can put him to similar use on Saturday, then the Irish, they, they get, you know, they've got a lot of issues. Um, they're going to have a lot of uh, challenges to face. Um, so, I mean, have, have you, you've seen the, new, uh, the All Blacks, haven't you? you yeah. It's Namibia, but I suppose that's... <laughs> you know, it's Namibia. No offense. So that's the thing. How much? Do you, how much can you take from those games? It's been a long time since New Zealand played a truly competitive match. Exactly. Um, so perhaps the Irish were looking to exploit that as well. Perhaps their fitness levels might see them through. So who knows? So if I put you on the spot, Saturday's game, New Zealand Ireland. Who, who's winning that one? I think it's going to be closer than we expect. The Irish are obviously going to be absolutely up for this, um, as will the All Blacks. Um, but I think uh, when push comes to shove, narrow uh, All Blacks win. And Sunday's game? Who, who are you fancying <laughs> Japan, South Africa? Uh, hoping you wouldn't ask. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel like Japan have become my adopted team at this World Cup. Um, the, uh, South Africa, unfortunately. Oh, You've just broken the hearts of 128 million people. So it, it's been it's been a fantastic journey, but I think this could be the end of the road. Well, that's all for part one. Join us after the break for part two, where we'll talk the other two quarterfinals as England take on Australia and Wales face France. Welcome back to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. We've already talked to the two quarterfinals in Tokyo, so let's turn our attentions to what's happening in Oita this weekend. And On Sunday, Wales take on France. It's an all-six nations clash that at least guarantees one Northern Hemisphere team will be in the semi-finals, which is more than we can say about 2015. But... Before that, on Saturday, and to kick off the weekend, England take on Australia, and as we said at the start of the pod, this, this game needs no introduction, but we're going to give it one anyway. So we, we, we had a pretty busy Thursday here with Eddie Jones springing a major shock, really. We, we were expecting an unchanged lineup, and suddenly he drops George Ford to the bench, moves Owen Farrell to 10, and Henry Slade comes in at outside centre with Manu Tuolangi moving to 12, Slade's only played 40 minutes of rugby this season, and that, that's since the 1st of June Premiership final. He, he's been struggling with a knee injury that he suffered in training before the warm-up games. So it's a big gamble from Eddie Jones, and he's also brought in Mako Vinopola uh, back from injury again. He, he made his return off the bench last, or two weeks ago now, against Argentina. And Courtney Laws to beef up the second row uh, at the expense of George Cruz. And then Hours later, we'd heard a rumour about it, but Michael Checker names 19-year-old Jordan Patea at outside centre, having 
initially played him on the wing and this is only going to be his fifth professional match of the year due to uh, injury and what what a what a time to uh, to make his first test start as center he, he's only 19 and mm. you know straight away Eddie Jones was into him a little bit saying he's got to step up to the occasion so those are the two games I'm covering Sam um I'm really looking forward to it. I think there's something special about England, Australia. Uh, you know, as a an English rugby fan before you became a journalist, does that game hold something special for you? Uh, yeah, obviously it's, it's it's a massive rivalry, uh, Jack, um, uh, and one that we're you know everyone's looking forward to, uh, given the history between the two teams. The English obviously going to be confident, sort of going into it. They've got six six wins under their belts in the, in, in, in the last six meetings, um, but. I've got to admit, you know, I'm a little bit stumped by the decision to drop Ford. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, we we had long discussions about this and basically Owen Farrell is undroppable, is what this says, because he's not been playing well. He's not been playing well at centre and we know he's a fly half. That that inside centre role is only to accommodate Ford and Ford has been playing really well. He's He's probably been one of, if not the most impressive player for England here. He started all three games already, so it does seem strange to invest so much time in the Ford-Farrell partnership. Ford has started six of England's last seven matches to then tear it up and drop him to the bench. And I know Eddie Jones is very much of... He has a squad of 23, not a squad of 15. He doesn't think being named on the bench changes the what what the team does too much because he he buys into this whole role of the finishers that they more important than the starters but whether you can actually change a player's mentality to do that I guess this is the ultimate test of that because players have it ingrained in their heads from when they were kids that they want to start matches and even when you talk to them now they buy into what Eddie says, but then you say, you know, deep down, surely you will want to start. And they always reply, yeah, yeah of course. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how Ford copes with that. I would say that of the squad, I, he would be probably among my top three players who would adjust and adapt to that. And yeah, he's a very smart, yeah, he's, smart individual. I was going to say, he does seem like a very calm, composed figure, doesn't he? We've seen that in his performances so far. So, as you say, of all the players to. Align themselves to Jones's philosophy. It, it, it could be him, um, and I suppose another reason sort of, he's been sort of dropped to the bench is perhaps his physicality. That, that's a, that's an interesting one because we we were we were fairly sure that if you had Ford, Farrell, Tuolangi, as we've seen, Tuolangi would be running at Pattaya. You know, this World Cup rookie against probably the most powerful centre in world rugby. But then by switching this now, it's almost Eddie Jones saying we are worried about Samu Karevi, the, the Wallabies inside centre, because yeah. he is such a strong ball carrier and such a key threat for getting Australia on the front foot that even with Owen Farrell opposite him, they were concerned. So they've got to put Tuolagi there. And... Mm. You know, it is harsh on Ford because Ford hasn't missed the tackle this World Cup. Yeah, no, I saw that stat. So, you know, it, there's not enough there to be worried about in terms of his form. Mm. So it's got to be just the fact that defence is probably still the weakest part of his game, even though he's come on massively mm. there. 
And it's very, I see it as a very negative move from England. It might be a winning move, who knows? But I, I don't it, it think I've seem, seen it before from England. It does seem like an admission of weakness um, to a certain extent. Um, but before I get another question I was going to ask, it was about the, uh, the battle up front. Um, I, mean, I mean, what do you, what do you make of it there? I think the, uh, the days of Andrew Sheridan's destroying the Australian front row are gone. This is a, a, a very different Australian pack. They've, they've got a solid scrum now. Um, they also have a brilliant set piece. We, we saw that opening game against Fiji. The way they actually got back into the game to take the lead was by kicking to the corner, solid line-outs and a really strong driving ball. Now, that's what England pride themselves on. They've all been talking about English rugby, which is scrumming and mauling. So it's going to be a real clash of two really strong packs, I think. And you would still say England have the advantage in that department. But it'll be interesting to see how Mako Vinopolo goes. He hasn't started a match since May, since the Champions Cup final. That's a long time. But you would say he is one of a few genuinely world-class players in this England team. I, I think Vinnie Polo would walk into any team in, in the world, and I include the All Blacks in that. I, yeah. I, I think he's on his day, he's world-class. And it's just about how long it takes him to, to get to that level. We, we've seen in the past, he doesn't need that long. Uh, on his return from injury at Saracens at, earlier last season... I remember being there and he got the Man of the Match award on his first appearance and he was brilliant. Just incredible to see him return from a three-month injury and run the show, basically. Yeah. But that was a that was a premiership level. We're now talking World Cup, biggest stage. <laughs> Can he do it when yeah. it matters most in a, a quarter-final, you know, knockout rugby? Yeah. And, and I suppose the good thing for, for England, you look at the bench, at least you've got Joe Marlow there and he's been really impressive coming out of international retirement and really made that, that place his own until Vinopolo returned from injury. So at least England do have ample backup if it goes wrong there. But I, I would say they, they have the slight advantage there, even if it's not quite what it used to be. I, I wouldn't expect to see England marching the Wallabies back so much this Saturday. Yeah. And um, before we move on to Wales, France, sort of, uh, a last discussion of uh, the Aussie 10. Uh, Leofano has been brought in. I mean, what's going on there with the Aussies? It seems they don't know who, who what their best best option is. They don't, and neither do we, really. Um, mm. they, they tried all three fly halves out in the pool stage. They started with Lee Lefano. Uh, they, they then switched to Bernard Foley for the Wales game. So you kind of got mm. the idea that Checker wanted Foley for his, his big games and it just didn't work. He was throwing interceptions and he got taken off quite early and Matt Tamua came in and Tamua played really well and so he, he was given a start and he thought, right, Tamua looks like the number 10 and then back we go to Lee Lefano. But, you know, what you do have to say is most of the back line is the one that beat New Zealand in Perth in the rugby championship. Yeah. Obviously now you have Pitaya in and also, he, he's Checker's gone with uh, Will Genya at scrum half instead of Nick White. That was a big surprise. You know, not even the yeah. not even the Aussie media saw that coming. Uh, we we were chatting with them last night, and they they kind of feel that White was a long way ahead of uh, Genya in the pecking order. So that, that's that's an interesting call from Checker, who's yeah. 
as we've seen in the past, never, never afraid to, to make the big decisions uh, and follow his, his gut, really. Yeah. But we also do have to recognise the incredible story of Lee Lefano. You know, he recovered from leukaemia a few years ago, went, went to Ulster to, to play a little bit of European rugby before going back to the Brumbies with Super Rugby, getting back into the test team and even captaining them. Uh, in the last year so while it may be a an unusual selection process from Checker, you do have to say that you're just overjoyed for Lee Lefano to, yeah. to see him running out in a World Cup quarter final with number 10 on his back that's going to be a really okay. special day for him and his family so looking forward to the final match uh, Wales France what are your views on that obviously you've seen a little bit of France so far well, I haven't. Uh, I hoped to, oh. uh, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> that, that, that game got called off. So we, we we did spend the entire week preparing for that. So yeah. we we had the French journalists in town. We saw a bit of fr- the France team training, but they it's just so stereotypically French, isn't it? One unknown quantity they are coming into the quarterfinals, and you you would expect them to be. Off the pace somewhat, you know. We, we've heard about reports of disarray within the camp and the coaching staff falling out with the captain Guillaume Girado. So, wh- where are they in terms of mentality-wise? But then also, they're only two games away from getting to the final. It's just so French, Classic isn't it? French. Exactly. <laughs> There's no other way you can say it. That every time we get to our World Cup, they seem to be in disarray, but they just do what they need to. And, mm. You almost do Which, worry for Wales that the more and more reports there are of a, a player coup, the more dangerous they become because that's <laughs> that's when they start to play their best rugby. Well, I was going to say, the French obviously do make a complete contrast uh, to the Welsh side heading in, into this quarterfinal. Um, one Gatlin's men have been, I would say so far, one of the standout teams um, of the pool stages. They've, they've looked very composed, very organised, sort of up front amongst, uh, and among the backs as well. That match against Australia in particular was a real testament to the spirit that, that is now sort of instilled within, within the team. That you, you know, there's, there's real self-belief and resilience uh, amongst the Welsh, so much so that I personally think that they could go all the way at this tournament. Um, so assuming they can sidestep the unpredictability, uh, unpredictability of the French in this next game, um, I'm, you know, I'm backing them to, to at least reach reach the final. You, they're definitely in a, a strong position to do so, and I, I think the one concern that we saw a little bit for the last game is there is still a lingering danger of injuries around this squad. Um, mm-hmm. We're about we're recording this about an hour before Warren Gatlin named his team, but. I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned. I think John Davis and George North will be there, but they both picked up knocks in that brutal game with Fiji. We also saw again that they had to resort to two scrum halves as backs cover on the bench. And it, it just kind of felt a little bit disruptive and a little bit replicant of 2015 when they simply just ran out of players that were of the level needed in a, a World Cup quarter final. Now, I don't think that that should affect them in this game, but you do worry if they pick up a, a few more knocks in this game and win, 
just what shape they'll be in for the semi-finals yeah. when you know you, they're really going to be up against it. You, yeah, they could be facing a, a South African team that's going to knock ten bells out of them, or a Japanese team that will be absolutely flying. So, yeah, but that that's the biggest concern. I mean, it's not a big enough concern yet to make me think that they're going to lose to France. I find yeah. it very hard to see how. France are going to win unless they produce their best performance probably of the last four years really even yeah. I'm thinking that the day they beat England in 2018 in the Six Nations yeah, they played well but that, that's probably not going to be enough to beat yeah. this Wales team you know, Gatlin's really got them drilled into playing the style of rugby he wants now and it's a, yeah. it's a successful brand yeah. I'm just trying to think back to our previous recordings it seems that I've always been a bit more sort of optimistic Around around the Welsh, and you've always been a little bit more critical, a little bit more apprehensive to sort of heap heap, heap praise um, on the Welsh, uh, which is uh, quite an interesting uh, contrast. But I mean, they they've got genuine game changers, uh, you know, players who who have who are world class. I mean, Tipperick so far has been outstanding. He had two monumental performances in the opening two games of the group stages. Josh Adams. As we mentioned earlier, he's sort of leading the, the try score table. You know, these guys, they are going to make a difference. They will do, and you, you've also, you can add probably Alan Wynne-Jones and John Davis to that. I think mm. the break that John Davis made that to set up the uh, the Josh Adams try against Fiji, I mean, that, that was just sublime. A, a, mm. a little fade, a fend, and then showed his acceleration that four also were quite a large build centre you know that he is really quite fast so mm. when you've got him combining with George North and Josh Adams outside him that that's a real game breaking trio mm. there the, my, my concern is that uh, I think a lot of it stems from the Six Nations yes they went and won the Grand Slam and yes they did it really emphatically but there just wasn't the style of attacking rugby that gets you excited you know they, they didn't mm. score an awful lot of tries they just kind of ground opponents down and then struck when they did. They, they showed a great like clinical side to their game that we hadn't yeah. seen before. Whereas that's what I find quite hard to to really think is is gonna gonna light up the World Cup. It, now, now, to be fair, that that's not what wins you World Cups. You don't win World Cups by going and playing Fiji style rugby, do you? You know, you, I was you, gonna say defense wins World Cups. Taking a chances wins World Cups. So it, it could be that all this comes back to bite me in the backside and I get it wrong. But <laughs> I just, I just, think, <laughs> I just think if you look around at the other teams, New Zealand do the same but better. And I think England play a different style of rugby that if they get it right on their day is better. But the, the thing is, Wales have a game plan and have a strategy that can beat both of those teams. And I think that's what makes this so exciting, that if, if we end up with the strongest teams in, in the, the final four, you can't really put your money anywhere. I just don't know where this is going to go. So no, that's, I think that's what makes this weekend so exciting, that we have eight teams. Seven of them we expected to be there. One of them is just completely tearing up the form book and rewriting basically the, the state of rugby union. So there's so much that can happen. I, I don't think I've ever been this excited for a quarterfinal mm. weekend at, at a World Cup. So to turn it back on you, Jack, predictions, please. Um, 
I'm, I'm a little unsure so of the first game, so I'm going to start with the second game. Uh, I think Wales should win that, should probably win it a little more comfortable than some are expecting, maybe a two-try gap or so. Uh, I don't think France are in the position to threaten what is a battle-hardened Wales team. Yeah. Uh, Saturday's game, I've, I've got a lingering doubt in the back of my mind that England are going to be undercooked. I, I wrote this earlier in the week that we haven't seen anything from them really, even though they, they've got three consecutive bonus point victories. There's just been yeah. nothing impressive to write home about yet. And now with the sudden team change and you know a new direction that they want to go in, How's that going to work? But we do also have to remember this is the the midfield combination to beat Ireland in Dublin in the Six Nations opener this year. So it's by no means an untried and untested combination. You know, Farrell, Tuolangi and Slade know how to play a bit of rugby. So I would say England are favourites. Australia could easily turn them over, but I'll go under, under a score in England's favour, I, th- I think. England and Wales to progress and if we go on your your predictions two southern hemisphere teams two northern hemisphere teams what a nice balance that is for the last four should make for a great great semi-finals well that's all for today's episode we'll be rounding up the uh, the weekend's action with Jonathan Liu who's just joined us in Japan so look out for that next week and remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen for all the latest from the World Cup. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.